Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. It's so good to be here with you, uh, taking a break from the craziness that is my life currently and getting a chance to talk some Memphis Grizzlies basketball is always wonderful. And I was kind of hoping it would be a crazy conversation, like the Grizzlies would have come out of left field and done something that none of us expected. But of course, it went just about as predictably as possible. The Memphis Grizzlies stood pat at the trade deadline. And now we head into the uh, the sprint to the end of the season, looking at a play-in and playoff race for the Bears of Beale Street. Again, I am your host, Joe Mullinax. I am the site manager of SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues. At least that's what I am when I'm not in the middle of a spring football season. Uh, currently, the gentleman who, who's doing a much better job of that than me is my associate editor, uh, Mr. Parker Fleming, who is doing tre- tremendous work Excuse me, over at GBB. As I, you know, grit and grind myself into oblivion, I texted Brandon and Parker last night, a little peek behind the curtain here. And I said, I just had a 14 hour workday. I'm not going to be able to do the thing I was supposed to do. And they're covering for me very nicely, very kindly. And today was no exception with Parker's tremendous trade deadline primer that hopefully you checked out before the Grizzlies did almost exactly what Parker predicted. Parker, how are you doing, sir? You know, I can't really complain, man. I mean, for one, it's just a sigh of relief that the trade deadline is over, so I don't have to, you know, check my phone for Woj bombs or Shans bombs every 10 minutes to see the latest trade rumor or the latest trade that had been announced. I can just kind of just relax and enjoy basketball. And uh, thank you for the kind words. Uh, though we didn't see any moves made, I did have one of my predictions come true. And not a single player in the 10-man rotation was traded. So I would consider that a success. I guess it depends on your definition of success. You know, I know you love Grayson Allen far more than I, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that, I'm sure, during this conversation. Ways to get in touch with the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at GBB Live. You can follow the, the blog that Parker and I are so fortunate to be, uh, to be working with, a tremendous staff over at SBN Grizzlies. You can follow Parker on Twitter if you don't already do so at Paca underscore Flocka. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter. I say, of course, like I assume you already follow me. Um, if you do, I apologize in advance. At Joe Mullinax, if you want to punish yourself with all sorts of random all-caps tweets, it is where you can follow and find me. So, Parker, I figured since the Grizzlies were pretty quiet, you know, you and I earlier in the day, we were kind of debating, do we even do, we even do this, right? Like, uh, they didn't really do anything that was unexpected. Um I think that the smartest way to do this for us, Parker, is to just go through and look at the GBB live question of the day and let that kind of guide our conversation. Because I think that we can look at all four voting options and get some conversation points out of each of them. So uh, the GBB live question of the day, um, hopefully you voted in it over a hundred folks did thanks to the people that participated. Um, which statement best describes how you feel about the lack of activity from the Memphis Grizzlies at the trade deadline? There are four options. And like I said, we're just going to work our way down, Parker. And then at the end of the show, we'll talk about the options that got the most votes. Uh, option number one was we missed out on guys. And I think this was an interesting choice for a voting topic because when you saw the cost to acquire somebody like an Evan Fournier, and I do think people made the point as the deadline continued after that Evan Fournier deal went through with Boston 
the, the traded player exception, the TPE, right? That holds value for Orlando. And maybe Gorgie Dang would not have been as valuable. And I, I think that's a fair counter to what I'm about to say. But beyond that, even if you don't include Gorgie, if you had, you know, I guess in theory, money-wise, you would have to include Gorgie, but they could have found a way to acquire Evan Fournier. Like, they, the Magic essentially gave him away. Uh, essentially, or certainly, excuse me, gave him away below what I would consider his value is. Of course, he's an expiring contract. He, you're being, he's being perceived as a rental. But if you are one of those folks, and as people that follow me on the blog and on this podcast know, I am not one of these folks. If you're one of those folks, like our Ed Memphis, for example, who is very passionate about thinking that you don't rebuild, you don't be patient, you go and make the most out of every opportunity, and you see Evan Fournier get acquired by the Celtics for what he got acquired for, to me, even with the level-headed thought process that you and I share, and we've talked about it on this podcast multiple times, I could understand somebody looking at that and saying, dude, what the hell? We could have had Evan mm-hmm. Fournier. What are you doing, right? Like, I, I get that perspective. I, I'm curious as to what you think about that, because as you mentioned, no key rotation player was traded. But Grayson Allen and Gorgie Jang for Evan Fournier makes the Grizzlies better right now. The question is, is that what would be better in the long run? And clearly, uh, that deal may have never even come up. But I, I, I guess if, if two second-round picks and a traded player exception get you Evan Fournier. I think it's logical to say that Grayson Allen, Gorgie Dang, and a second round pick probably could have gotten the job done too. I mean, it could have, but I also think that traded player exception was a something that uh, the Orlando Magic wanted, especially in a rebuild. It gives them the flexibility to kind of do what Memphis did and take on a bad salary from another team and get an asset with it, as we saw with Andre Gudala. Uh, in July of 2019. And you know, like, yeah, it works. You would have to give money for Evan Fournier. You'd probably have to give them a, a young player and a pick. And I remember beforehand, before this uh, trade deadline went down, before that trade went down, it sounded like Orlando wanted a first for Evan Fournier. But I think once Tim McMahon of ESPN reported that Fournier had no interest in resigning, the Orlando Magic lost all leverage. So... They had a team like Boston who had that fat trade exception. And honestly, I feel so bad for – actually, no, I don't feel bad for Celtics fans because they had that Jeff Green trade hanging over our heads for four year, four or five years. I don't feel bad at all. You get that hype from a $28 million trade exception when they could have just had Miles Turner and Doug McDermott instead and they used it on Evan Fournier. It's pretty disappointing. So I just think it's just the position more of where the Orlando Magic are rather than – where the Grizzlies are. Yeah, the Grizzlies could have offered Gorgie Dan, Grayson Allen in two seconds, and that's probably a better deal than what they got out of Boston. But for Orlando, it makes sense because they had that flexibility with a traded player exception that they could either use as more cap space or to absorb a contract in a trade that doesn't necessarily require matching salaries. And Evan Fournier isn't getting you into a position to beat the Lakers or the Jazz and, and or also, the Suns. You're running into the same problem that you're having right now that pe- that I know you're passionate about, Keith Parrish is passionate about, Peter Emerson's passionate about, and that is the I like Grayson Allen's blocking the starter minutes away from 
Desmond Bain, and DeAnthony Melton. Evan Fournier would have done the same thing. I know Fournier's better, but right. in the grand scheme of things, Fournier's not going to be here three years from now, and maybe neither is Grayson Allen. So you're still going to be complaining. Like People are still going to be complaining about that. So Yeah, but I think if they would have made, made a trade. I would have rather them do like Jang Grayson in the Utah pick and go get Harrison Barnes and open up that starting two spot to uh, Desmond Bain. That's probably what I would have done instead. But, you yeah, know. But I, I feel like, and you, you touched on it in fairness to you, Evan Fournier is better than Grayson Allen. Like, yeah. th- that, that's not a contest. So I, I hear your point, and I think it's fair. But if I'm sitting down and I'm looking at the players, and Evan Fournier is starting in front of DeAnthony Melton and Desmond Bain, I may not agree with it, but I'm not going to be frustrated by it because they clearly upgraded the position. Sure. Like it is, it is very difficult for me, and, and we don't have to go around and around on this. It's very difficult for me to believe that Grayson Allen is better than DeAnthony Melton. I think right. that Allen versus Bain is a fair conversation right now, mm-hmm. and I say that as somebody that loves Desmond Bain. Like uh, Desmond Bain is my favorite of the three, but I also have to be impartial in some way uh, as a as a writer and a site manager, somebody that that folks come to you know our blog and. And they look for not just, you know, fanboyism. They, they want some analysis here. Desmond Bain struggled for several games in a row. And I'm, I was fine with him losing that starting spot. I don't understand why DeAnthony Melton never gets a chance. And it's hard to make that argument to me over Grayson Allen. Whereas if it was Evan Fournier, at least you have an established veteran who is a scoring wing. He fills a need. I don't know that they would have needed to do that because, again, it doesn't, help them in the long run but at the same time at least there would have been logic to it i struggle logically with grayson allen and i guess maybe even saying logically isn't fair because i get why he does it i've said it you know on on locked on with sean and and other places he does what coach jenkins wants him to do right he Mm -hmm. defends without fouling and he shoots an s ton of threes and he he converts them at a good rate like grayson's having a good season But the question isn't whether or not Grayson is a rotation NBA player. I think he's proven that he is. The question is, does he make sense for the Grizzlies long-term? And and that is where the disconnect is, at least for me. You're listening to GBB Live. I am your host, Joe Molinex, joined by my co-host, Parker Fleming. No guests this week, just me and Parker having a conversation about Uh, the trade deadline. And Parker, I'll I'll let you follow up. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious as to, you see Grayson... You see Desmond, you see DeAnthony going into the second. Oh, it's not the second half of the season now, but this post-deadline world. Well, the most likely thing Memphis does is buy out Gorgie. And obviously, there's no other pieces coming in. Are you concerned at all about that log jam, or do you think it's something that's kind of going to take care of itself? Because one of the ways that I've tried to rectify this in my mind is they're about to play so much basketball that they're going to need to give guys breaks. They're going to need to give guys. I think that data accumulation goal, and I know Zach Kleiman speaking to the media, you're going to be there for us on Friday uh, to to be a part of that press availability. I'm so curious as to how Kleiman perceives that and obviously how you see it moving forward because I had the theory that the Grayson Allen dilemma is the first split in the front office and the coaching staff being in lockstep because Grayson Allen doesn't line up with what Kleiman and company have said, at least not in my opinion. Maybe I'm off base on that. So uh, maybe that ties in with what you were going to finish up with earlier. But what is your perception of this moving forward and the connection to that 
to this front office and coaching staff, which for two years now has seemed very much in line with one another. To me, Grayson Allen is the first sign of weakness in that armor. Yeah, I mean, I understand that. Uh, I know one metaphor that I've seen on Twitter is just taking the the toy away from Coach. And I know that same metaphor was thrown out in the past several years with like Jermichael Green, uh, Garrett Temple, Shelvin Mack, Jay Crowder, Solomon Hill. I think the difference is that Grayson, I'm looking at the, the cleaning the glass right now that filters out garbage time minutes. And when it comes to which guys fit the best numbers-wise next to Ja, Brooks, Anderson, and Valanciunas, it's Grayson. It, he The team has a plus 14 point differential per 100 possessions whenever that lineup's out on the floor. D.D. Anthony's about like 6.4, and Desmond Bain is a little under uh, neutral. I think he's like a negative one with that lineup or something. So I, I think ultimately, though, it's going to take care of itself because obviously they'll have that first-round pick this year. I think given what they have up in the front court with – Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman, among others, as far as their young guys go. And also, too, you have guys like Justice Winslow that could play the four as well. They're going to go after a wing. And I know Grayson seemed like a valuable trade chip this season, but he's going to be a more valuable trade chip next season when he's an expiring contract where his salary is going to double from $2 million to $4 million. So I think it's just going to all work itself out. I'm honestly would be more concerned about closing who's in the closing lineup i know the boston thing kind of ruffled and got the conversation going a little bit i think with that the starters they were rolling in the third and coaches like okay they're the ones who started the run let's finish with them that's what happened but when it comes down to it i think there should be more dialogue around the closing lineups and the starting lineups because think about this and the golden state era i know they had all these great players and stuff they sorted Zaza Pachulia, but they closed with the Hanson's five. So I wouldn't want DeAnthony Melton in the closing lineup more so than the starting lineup, if that makes sense. Because Grayson hasn't gelled with the bench unit the same way that Melton has. But Melton hasn't uh, messed with the starting unit the same way Grayson has, if that makes sense. I know it's a very long-winded answer, but... It's a very passionate topic of mine as a supporter of all three players. I love all three players. I can see any of them here long-term, but that that's just where I stand on everything. We don't support long-winded answers here at Grizzly Bear Blues Live. In the, in the seven years that I've been doing this podcast, I have never once given a long-winded answer, so I can't. <laughs> I can't allow for that to happen here, Parker. You know better than that. Uh, I'm just just joking, of course. For those of you that are fans of this show, I am the king of long-winded answers. Uh, so obviously, I, I do think we need to move on to our next part of the question of the day. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm curious, just quickly, Parker, we went into this, and we all kind of said that Bradley Beal was a pipe dream, right? Maybe this summer, maybe you've heard enough smart people like Bobby Marks Talk about Memphis maybe being in that mix. So maybe this summer, maybe, maybe it wasn't going to happen at the trade deadline. But we all also kind of had the pipe dream of Zach Levine and thought that maybe that was more realistic uh, than Beal at the trade deadline, even if it was just a little more realistic. Clearly, that was not true at all. Chicago doubled down on Zach Levine. I think it's clearer than ever. They're not trading him. They bring in Vucevic. They, they go veteran heavy and they, they kind of commit 
to being a better team in the here and now and trying to make a little run towards the Eastern playoffs. Uh, the, the rumor mill and the way that we here in Memphis, and I'm guilty of it. I'm not poking fun at anybody. I'm, I'm very much guilty of it. Uh, you know, Gorgie Dang to the Knicks is another example, right? You, you take an idea, you run with it. It's not necessarily fully there and it doesn't materialize. Who's to blame? I guess blame's not even really the right word. I, I am curious as to your perception of you think of an idea, it, it kind of catches on a little bit in the Twitterverse. Nothing materializes from it. It's obviously on a smaller scale, whether it's us or anybody in Memphis, really, because we're such a small part of the NBA internet community. Uh, but you see it when it comes to uh, Stephen A. Smith trying to will everybody to L.A., right? Or Zach Lowe talking about uh, a trade that might happen. Or Zach Lowe saying the Grizzlies might be an interesting trade partner on deadline day. And that leads people to thinking, oh, well, maybe they'll be involved in some rumors. I don't think they mentioned the Grizzlies once the entire day. So mm -hmm. what is your perception of, you know, sourcing and how all this kind of gets mingled and mangled up? I think we continue, and it's part of our jobs in fairness, but I think we continue to try to figure out what the answers to these questions are. And I feel like the, the Grizzlies have no interest in, in showing their cards in any way, shape or form. I mean, for one, I, I really appreciate the fact that the Grizzlies kind of keep everything to their chest as far as the trades and stuff go, just because it can be a real uh, leverage loss there. You could be losing a little, bit, a little bit of leverage. And I like the surprise element that comes with it, too. I don't think with any of the stuff, like, you know, the speculation, like nationally or even just us on GBB or on Twitter, like speculating all this stuff is I don't think any of it is necessarily a lie if it doesn't happen. I mean, it's probably conversations that have been had within front offices, within other, uh, within other organizations as well. But there's just so many different nuances that we don't even know as far as the salary cap, like deep, deep, deep understanding the salary cap and uh, other teams' desires. Like, yeah, we can factor in the Grizzlies' desires all we want, but we don't know what the other team wants. Like, we we would say, oh, Gorgie Dang, he makes sense for the New York Knicks if they give us Kevin Knox. But you know, the the Knicks may actually be like, oh, well. We kind of want to see what more Kevin Knox can do before he hits restricted free agency. Or I had tossed around the idea of including Gorgie Dang in a three-team trade, particularly one that helps Orlando get Aaron Gordon and, and Gary Harris gets routed, rerouted to Memphis. Gorgie goes to Orlando as well as probably like Grayson Allen or something. Like that could be real, but also too that like other stuff could be in the package as well that, just doesn't make it work on either side. So I, I think there's no, I think it's not irresponsible for us to do that. There's just so many nuances that is really beyond our understanding. And it was, it's part of the gig. Like I said, it's part of being a blogger. We, we have a section called Grizzlies rumors and speculation for a reason. Um, and you, and we can't all be Sean Coleman, right. And directly <laughs> predict the draft picks of the Memphis Grizzlies one no. by one. Uh, we don't all have that soothsayer ability. Like like uh, our buddy Sean over at GBB and Lockdown Grizzlies has. Um, before we go to break, I think the next uh, one of these options that we're going to talk about it's going to be short and sweet, so it, it'll take us into break nicely. Uh, it also received the fewest amount of votes. This this option, which is good on you, Grizzlies fans. I, I think you nailed it. We should have tanked. The idea of tanking. <laughs> two only two percent of the hundred and sixteen folks that voted thought that the team should have tanked. 
what would that have even looked like at this point, Parker? Like if, if they wanted to blow it up, if they wanted to have a fire sale, like the Orlando Magic essentially had, you're not sending out Jaw. So, so are you trading Jonas? Are you trading Dylan? Like, I, I feel like they're in this place in terms of that data accumulation that we continue to talk about, that Zach Kleiman talks about. Um, they, there's not really a point to blowing it up. You don't know what you're blowing up yet. You know what I mean? You don't have any idea what it is you would be destroying. So tanking was never an option. They were never going to do that. And yeah. I, I think the, the small fraction of fans out there that, that think that that's still a good idea that I, I, again, they're not tanking to begin with the fact that they're not playing Jaron Jackson jr. As early as you want them to, doesn't mean they're tanking. And, and the fact that they are not going to make any moves for additional assets to cut off their nose, despite their face also doesn't mean they're tanking. And, and I'm just really kind of at a place now where I wish people would just be patient, like ju- just let them do what they're trying to do. And see if it works. It doesn't mean that they're tanking. So good mm-hmm. on you, Grizzlies fans, for not voting for that option. But Parker, what what would that have even looked like to you? What, I guess Jonas would be the one that, in the immediate short term, would have, if they lost him, made them a lot worse. But how would you even do that with this current roster? So I think it comes down to I think you would trade Jonas, Kyle Anderson and Dylan Brooks, all three players that I think could get you a first-round pick for first-round picks and a crappy player, and then maybe throwing in a deal for Tyus Jones somewhere as well, uh, and then probably something where they lock uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Moran inside their door or inside their house to where they can't even come to the arena uh, to go to games, and then they would just roll out the Abraham All-Stars for the rest of the season. So something kind of like what Oklahoma City's doing. The, yes, the, basically, yeah. The SGA injury that you know people are questioning how severe it actually is, and and that sort of thing. Uh, that, that, I could see that, I suppose. I I just feel like it's it's frustrating because it's not clear how they're doing it or what their perception of where they are in the process is. But it isn't frustrating in that they're quite clearly not tanking. Like they're they're not going to throw off their long-term aspirations, but they're also not going to, in the short term, make themselves substantially worse. They're just happy with where they are, and I think some fans maybe have an issue with that. When we come back from break, we're going to talk about the other two options, the two options that got the most votes in our GBB Live question of the day as we break down a rather quiet, maybe a little too quiet, trade deadline extravaganza over at Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinex, joined by my co-host, Parker Fleming. Just he and I tonight breaking down all that is the trade deadline, was the trade deadline, and what it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't an active day for the Memphis Grizzlies, to say the least. So we talked about missing out on guys and what that actually looks like. We talked about tanking in the first segment. Uh, the second leading topic that got votes, 37% of the 116 voters chose this one. They said that, they, that the team stayed the course and that that was smart. They felt that it was the right decision to not really do anything. And I think this is where I land. It's not the option I voted for. That, that'll be the one we talk about in the last part of this segment. Uh, but I do think in terms of the overall deadline, 
it didn't make sense for them, as we kind of talked about with what a, a tank would have looked like. They're at a place where they're perfectly content having a pretty solid stockpile of draft picks. They're happy with the young players that they have. If they do buy out Gorgie Jang, I believe they become officially the youngest team in the NBA because Gorgie's age brings them down so far uh, in terms of that average number. Uh, they are just ahead of schedule. And I think sometimes people perceive that as we're ahead of schedule. Let's see how far we can push it. And I think you can you can put the cart before the horse, so to speak, and not really understand that the, the ceiling of this team, if you had gotten an Evan Fournier, or if you had somehow swung a trade for an Aaron Gordon, who doesn't necessarily make sense with the Grizzlies the way they're currently constructed anyway. But if you had gotten one of these better players and improved the team in the short term, what are you getting to, right? Look at the Western Conference standings. You're not jumping in front of Dallas, probably. You're not making a move that is going to get you into a position to make a run through the Western Conference. So what is the difference in this play-in environment between being the 7 or 8 seed and being the 9 or 10 seed? Uh, especially if you're the Grizzlies and there's no real incentive to jump ahead of the line before you're prepared to do so. John Morant is doing pretty well, but he's also regressing in some ways. He's struggling defensively. And I think that, as you've talked about before, and I agree with you, getting Jaron Jackson Jr. back will help tremendously with that. But at the same time, if he's the guy that you're going to look at as your acquisition, trying to get Justice Winslow going, especially offensively, being an acquisition, and seeing how this group plays together before you make the tough decisions potentially beginning this summer of who's going to be a part of that big trade package as you try to bring in a third star or move up in a draft to acquire a third star. You know, that's going to take moving on from some guys that you've you've logged some minutes with. So I guess what I'm trying to ask you, Parker, is when you look at this roster and you see saying the course and it's smart, do you think it's enough for this team in the eyes of the fan base? Because obviously the organization is fine with it. And I think in conversations between you and I, we're fine with it. But there is a growing wave in the fan base of impatience and not understanding why Jaron isn't playing sooner and not understanding why they weren't more active in these trades, why they aren't trying to make a larger push. Does that concern you? Obviously it doesn't concern the front office, but if that wave only grows, you know, you, you start to lose some of that goodwill that you've generated over the last couple of years. I don't think they're there yet. But I do think that they're coming to a time within the next calendar year where they're going to have to make a decision uh, if they're going to start making a push or not. We're, we're, we're starting to feel that vibe a little more coming out of this trade deadline, at least in my opinion. I mean, yeah. But I mean, also, it's like what you had mentioned, too. Like, if, if they were to have done something this trade deadline, like, you're not you're still not going anywhere above the seven or maybe six seed. and that. Top five in the West, it's pretty solidified. Utah, Phoenix, the two LA teams, and Denver, as well as a very strong sixth and seventh team with Portland and Dallas. So, I mean, I understand the frustration because they've shown you so much so early, but I just kind of want to let the guys grow. I like that they they stood pat and they're putting the confidence in these young guys to really make this playoff push and 
really help push the Grizzlies past the play-in and into the playoffs. I, I don't mind it. I really don't. And I, I think one thing that's really underestimated with Stanley Pat is the amount of flexibility that they have now going into this summer, into the into the next season, because they'll have all their draft picks. Uh, probably this is probably going to be the highest draft pick they will have until probably 2024 with that Golden State pick, depending on what they do. And you will also have, if you're counting Jaron, which I typically don't because he'll likely, I, I still think he'll get an extension before next season. They're going to have between 55 and $65 million in expiring contracts. Play your cards right, and that's enough to add another max deal next to Jaron Jackson Jr. So I'm fine that they stood pat. Maybe it's because of that forward thinking, oh, they still have all this money and all these expiring contracts going into the next season. And also, this is, like you've said it so many times, Joe, data accumulation. What good does it do to accumulate data on 41 games? What good does that do to see how well Desmond Bain meshes with everybody in 41 games, or Xavier Tillman, or DeAnthony Melton, or Brandon Clark as a backup five, or Dylan Brooks as a starting three? What good does it really do to kind of throw out all of that away 41 games into a data accumulation season? And you have these guys, most of them, under team control or bird rights, you know, all sorts of variations within the salary cap under team control that you can sign mm-hmm. if you're over the salary cap. Or in the case of Desmond Bain, you have on one of the most valuable contracts in the NBA because he was the 30th pick in the first round, the final selection. That means that he makes what? $1.4 million this year, $1.9 million next, something along those lines. And that's for one of the most elite shooters in the NBA. And again, that's not hyperbole, people. Desmond mm-hmm. Bain is one of the best shooters in the entire National Basketball Association. He has other areas of his game that he needs to grow, and, and I'm not disputing that. But my point is, look at the shooting guard position. That has been a major part of our conversation in this episode. Grayson Allen, if they want to re-sign him, he's going to be a restricted free agent. DeAnthony Melton, if they want to keep him, is a part of this organization for the next three seasons. Same thing with Desmond Baines. So they have a chance to hold on to these guys at decent salary cap numbers. They might eventually have to trade one or two of them, but they have to get enough data to make that decision as best they can. And if you bring in an Evan Fournier, going back to that example, that just inhibits that process. Evan Fournier is not re-signing with Memphis. That's not happening. He's not coming here in any other way other than a trade. And he's going to test free agency, and somebody's going to sign him, and he's not going to stay here. So is that really worth the opportunity to figure out between Bain and Melton and Allen who makes the most sense long-term? It's not. And I think the opportunity cost is an important conversation to have there. Sure, you could get better in that short term, but the whole point of this season was trying to figure out, okay, we know that we need two of these three guys. One of them is going to be part of the trade package for uh, burn down the world, Bradley Beal. Which one of them is it going to be, right? And and that's that's what they're trying to find and figure out here. We're finishing up on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Me and Parker Fleming flying uh, as a a solo duo this week no guests 
just breaking down the the silence of the deadline for the Memphis Grizzlies. The number one choice, the one that got a majority of the vote, 53% Parker Fleming chose this option. And this is the dominant storyline of the second half of the season, or uh, the post-deadline season, I guess is the better way to put it. Uh, Honorable mention to Justice Winslow, because we talk about data accumulation. They need to see if his three-point shooting woes really are real. Uh, He's still not at his 400-minute threshold for me yet, but he's getting close, and it's not looking great for his three-point shooting. He's defending pretty well, and I think he finishes decently at the rim, and he seems like he's finding his legs in some ways, but that that shooting from range has been atrocious. The number one storyline, though, is Jaron Jackson Jr., and the option that 53% of the voters selected was when's Jaron coming back was their thought after the trade deadline came and went. And I do think they view him as their acquisition. I do think he's the guy that stirs the drink alongside John Morant. John Morant is a pick-and-roll partner alongside Jaron Jackson Jr., both offensively and defensively, makes job better. I I don't think there's any disputing that. Jonas maybe sets better screens than Jaron, but that's really the only thing. And again, rebounding isn't really the pick-and-roll portion of what we're talking about. Um, In terms of being a pick-and-pop partner, in terms of length defensively, lateral quickness defensively, uh, it's Jaron with a bullet. I am interested in how they handle Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, Zach Kleiman, I'm sure, will be asked about it, maybe by you, Parker Fleming, in the media availability on Friday. Maybe in the next couple of weeks we see Jaron. We get a month of play from him before the play-in. I'm sure they'll ease him back in. Uh, Your take on the Jaron Jackson Jr. dilemma and what they will do with him moving forward as they approach this play-in. Because obviously having him makes them a better team. But at the same time, they have shown very clearly that they are not going to cater to the calls of Grizzlies Twitter or media or anybody when it comes to putting that guy in before they think he's ready. I think it just kind of like what you said at the end, they're going to bring him back when he's ready. But more importantly, when they're ready. I mean, they've mentioned, I read a report from uh, Grand City Media's Mike Wallace about Jaron having to meet certain thresholds before returning. And that's kind of just been the hold up there. But, I mean, I think what will happen when he comes back, I mean, he'll definitely start. I don't ever see him averaging more than 30 minutes a game, but I would think that he would start next to Jonas Valanciunas. And I also would expect him to not play back-to-backs this season, which with the, all this rigorous schedule, I mean, it's going to be so tough to see. But I would, I wouldn't say that he won't play this season. And, I mean, if he doesn't, that's just a, a bridge we'll have to cross when we get there. I mean, I'm looking at Denver. Uh, just a little short example. Denver, they sat out Michael Porter Jr. the entire rookie season. And he's back, and he hasn't had a back problem since. So if it meant Jaron Jackson Jr. has zero knee issues for the for a long term, I, I will do exactly what I will respect and approve of what they do. And I think we're seeing, like, with Justice Winslow, with Justice Winslow, he looks healthy, but he looks rusty. It's not like he looks out there and looks broken like Chandler Parsons does. And I think how they handled Winslow and how he looks so far should just give you more and more confidence on about how Jaren Jack- how they're handling Jaron Jackson Jr. and how he's going to look when he returns on the floor. The way they handled DeAnthony Melton, right? The, yeah. They've had several injuries this year. The or way Brandon they handled Clark. Brandon Clark. 
I mean, I, I, they have earned my credit. They have earned credit with me. They they can obviously do wrong, but I am willing to let them work through this because Jaron is a massive piece to this puzzle. You mentioned it earlier in the show. They're going to have to extend Jaron Jackson Jr. at some point. Like, that is coming, and it's not going to be cheap. I don't think it's going to be a max deal, but I don't think it's going to be a cheap one either. And they're going to have to get the most out of that investment because Jaron's going to be here the next four years, more than likely, beyond that extension for the next five years. Jaw's going to be here that long. And they are not concerned about contending for the sixth seed in 2021. They want to contend for a championship in 2023 and 2024. That is what their focus is on, is that long view. And you have to have a sense of patience when it comes to that. But we live in a society that is so instant gratification driven that they they can't understand or people don't want to understand that just because they're not pushing in all their chips at a trade deadline, try to get a, a player that makes them better in the here and now, doesn't mean that they're tanking. It means that they're thinking, I'm not good enough with the current state of my team, with my best player being a 21-year-old point guard, to go beat LeBron James. But you know what? LeBron James is getting old. Steph Curry is getting old. These guys are getting older, and we're finding ourselves in a position where we are going to have the flexibility that you mentioned earlier, Parker, the opportunity to add all sorts of talent, to add any type of pick. They can do almost anything they want to do. Why would you throw that away to improve your record by five games in a pandemic season where you're going to get curb stomped by the Jazz or the Clippers or LeBron freaking James? He's not going to be there forever. He's not the boogeyman. He's not a monster. He's eventually going to be gone. And who's going to rise up in the Western Conference out of those ashes? The Grizzlies are as well positioned as anybody. It's just going to take a little bit of time and patience. And I know that's not the strength of a lot of folks in 2021 in this instant gratification society we live in, but we got to work on it. We got to pursue it. We got to let them follow through and do the best they can for the organization and for Jaron in particular health-wise. So hopefully he plays this year, but I'm with you. If, if it got to the point where they can not guarantee that he wouldn't get injured, but he could almost they could almost guarantee – that that particular injury would not inhibit him from being every bit the player that we hoped he could be this time last year, then sign me up. And I would fully endorse that as well. Parker, I can't stress enough how proud I am of you. You know, I've, uh, I've basically taken a sabbatical compared to the work I normally do over at the blog these last couple of months. And you and Brandon and Sean and so many others over at GBB have done a tremendous job. Keep up the good work. I promise I'll be back full tilt soon, and uh, and we'll we'll grind through the rest of this season together. Keep up all the wonderful things you're doing, buddy, uh, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon here on the show. I really appreciate it, Joe. I really appreciate you just trusting me with GBB and trusting me and trusting Brandon and trusting Sean and the rest of our staff because you can be some knuckleheads sometimes, but you know we're, <laughs> we're still trying to drive out content. And, you know, I'm, I'm really waiting on that next Joe Mullinax fluff piece or his feature i'm really expecting it for the uh 400 minute threshold on just yeah Winslow. i'm expecting that that so. probably will come next week between now and then there probably will because i think he'll hit that 400 minute mark uh within the next week or so so that that probably i will try to find some time to write i i can i can 
pretty much guaranteed that that some sort of piece on that front will be out. Mm-hmm. But he's at two ninety nine right now. Oh, see, there you go. So he's got that's a few games left. He plays about twenty a night, I believe. So about five games, he'll be there. So um, we're 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 getting close, and uh, I'm excited to get back to work here in these next few weeks and and get back fully with the wonderful staff that we've built over at grizzlybearblues.com. For Parker, I am Joe. Thank you guys so much. Continue to grind forth, Grizz Nation. As always, this is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.